Good morning. It's a beautiful day today. God is in the house. The only thing that's missing today is you. <laughs> but we're able to see you through your home. And we're going to continue today speaking um, from the book of Philippians. Now, if you've been following us, Pastor Jay has been preaching on Philippians chapter 1. On Wednesdays, we've started doing some teaching on Philippians uh, chapter 2. And today, I'm going to continue my message. Today is going to be on Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And um, if, you if you have a Bible, I welcome you to open it up and follow along. If you don't, write them down. Write these verses down that we're going to be speaking about. I always have verses for you to go back and, and reread. It's so important for you to see what the Word of God is saying. And so let's start. And, and uh, we read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Um, and then I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation, only because I just love to hear it as well. So I'm going to be reading two versions today so that you can get a real feel for the Word of God. And so it says, starting in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I'm going to read you in the Passion Translation so that you can get an even greater appreciation for the word. And it says, And consider the example that Jesus, the Anointed One, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient he was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest name of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every need to bow in reverence. 
everything and everyone will one day submit to this name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language. Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. May God bless his word in our lives this morning. What a wonderful scripture. What, what wonderful words Paul put together to explain the lordship of Jesus. And so today's message, I'm going to title it, Taking the Form of Christ. Taking the Form of Christ. Now, verse 5, if you've been following us in the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, we were having um, teaching about the importance of us being united in one mind and one heart and how the unity is a state where God likes to see us be a part of as a body of Christ. And so... Paul continues to teach us about Jesus, and he says, can you have this mind in yourselves that Jesus Christ had in his? Can we be more like Christ? And the importance of that. And so in verse 6, it begins this teaching on the deity of Christ. Because you see, there's, there's always been this pull and tug among theologians of whether Jesus was just a man, not God, or Jesus was God and not a man. And battles about whether he had, you know, his dual um, essence. And we're going to be speaking and teaching a little bit more about that. But in verse 6, it speaks about him having the form, the very form of God. And if you remember Wednesday, I mentioned how it is that in the, the Greek language, there's a fullness to the Greek language that we don't find in the English language. Where in English, we might have one word that will express an idea. But in Greek, you have two, three, or more words that give you more of a flavor of an idea that's being expressed. And this morning, as I was thinking about the word and how is it that the New Testament was written in Greek? I, I thought about that and I say, you know, I said, gee, Lord, there's nothing that you do by coincidence or by accident or just, you know, it just happened. The fact that the New Testament is written in the Greek language gives us so much more information and so much more a feel for what Paul even taught and the things that we hear and see and experience from Jesus in the gospel. You know, it just gives us so much flavor. And so it's so important to look at what the Greek words meant for some of the English words that we use. And so Looking at verse 6, and it says, being in the form of God. There's two words that are, that are carefully chosen that speak to this. And the Greek verb for this is 
Huparshim. And in Huparshim, what, what that means is it describes the very essence of every individual and that which cannot be changed. So your essence cannot be changed. It describes that part of every one of us which in any circumstance remains the same. And th this is so important. Just stay with me because you are going to, it's going to blow your mind. It blew my mind when I kept continued to study this word. Okay. So Paul is saying here that Jesus is essentially an unalterably God. He's God because there's an essence in him that is his Godship. And so he goes on to say that Jesus was in the form of God. And there's two Greek words for our English word form. Okay. And so the two Greek words are morphe and schema. They've both been translated as form because we're limited in the, ling in the English language. And so there's two words and these two words morphe is the essential form which never alters. The essential form, the essence which never changes or alters. And schema is the outward form which changes from time to time and from circumstance to circumstance. Now, in 451, a council of leaders was called to discuss this issue on the deity of Jesus. And so it was called the Council of Chalcedon. And in that council, they came, these leaders came to the conclusion, reading the writings that were available to them, the prophetic uh, books that were available to them, they came to the conclusions that Jesus had two natures in one person. He was fully God and he was fully man. Okay, so when we looked at these two words, morphe, which is the essential form of us that does not alter, and we look at schema, which is the outward form that changes from time to time, it tells us a lot about ourselves and it tells us a lot about Jesus. Our inner form, who we are, this, this you know, this body that you see is not who I am. This body that I have has aged throughout the years, but who I am is within me, just like who you are is within you. And so our inner form, our essence, who we are, that never changes. Our outer form changes by circumstance. Now, this, this is where it becomes interesting. Our outer form changes as we age, which I just spoke about, so that the form, the outer form that you had, the outer body that you have when you were born is not exactly the same that you are when you're in your teens, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and so on. That changes, your outer form changes from time to time and according to the circumstances. Think about that. Your outer form, you know, you don't like your nose, you get a nose job, right? <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. So I'm going to tell you right from this point. If at any moment this 
message is cut, I will recommend you go to our website because you're going to hear the fullness of it. But I'm going where the Lord is taking me in this teaching. So the, the outer part of us can change. We can change our look. We, we can even change our eye color now if we feel like it. Which is dangerous and not recommended. But people will still go to other countries to change their eye color. Right? We can change our sex from male to female, female to male. And now we even have another category, which is gender fluid. So it depends how I wake up in the morning. I might feel like being a male. I might wake up and I might feel like being a female. We're fluid. We're running out of categories to put on applications. You know? But one thing I know is that our inner form does not change. So who God created us to be is who we will be before him. Everything that, that, that God did, if you go to the book of Genesis, everything that God did, he did, he looked back and said, mm, this is good. He made man in Genesis chapter 2. He said, this is good. He made him from what? The dust of the earth. Right? And he saw that it was good. And so God created us, and the scripture tells us he created us male and female. So it doesn't matter how we change our outer form to look as we feel like looking at the moment. God knows exactly who you are because he knows what he placed within you as your inner form. And so this is why we can have an understanding of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Because he never got rid of his deity. The scripture tells us that onto his deity, he took upon himself humanity. So he it literally, he put dust upon himself because that's what we are with dust. The scripture tells us that we are body, soul, and spirit. And when we die, our body, this dust goes back to the earth our spirit returns to God who gave it. And our soul is the one part of us that we determine where it will spend all of eternity. See, so as we see all the examples that God has given us so that we could understand this concept, and this is important. It's important for us to understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And it's important for us to teach it to our children. The scripture says that we're supposed to speak to them the oracles of God. As they walk, as they sit, as they lay in bed at night, we're supposed to speak the oracles of God to our children so that they could understand the truth of God and not be deceived by all these new wave religions that have surfaced and erroneous teachings of, of who God is. He is the only one, and we're going to see it in Scripture. There is none like him. And Jay was singing that today. Jay don't even know what my message was going to be. And he's singing about that today. 
one spirit. And so we begin to understand that Jesus was here fully God and fully man. He chose not to use his divinity in so many areas. He held back and he submitted himself to the humanity and the lowliness of humanity. Right? In verse number, uh, well, we're still in verse number seven to eight. It speaks about robbery. You know, and some of them says, you know what? He did not see it as robbery uh, being in the form of man, but yet he's God. And so let's look at that. Let's look at some of your translations say, say the word robbery. And so we know that robbery means a thing to be snatched at, right? You're taking something that doesn't belong to you. Snatched at. And so the Greek word for robbery is herpagamus. Herpagamus means to snatch or to clutch. So what we understand from the Greek verb used here is what it's telling us is that Jesus did not need to snatch deity. He didn't need to become God because he already was God. There was no beginning point for him. He always was. He always is and he always will be. These are the fundamental things that we need to teach our children. So important. But for you to teach them, you have to have an understanding of it. And so it says, he didn't feel the need to snatch at deity because he was already God. In verse 7, the word or the form morphe is used more prevalently in this verse 7 because it speaks to the likeness of men. He became like men. Okay? This is important. Now, the Greek word for made is the word gignestai. Gignestai means a state which is not a permanent state. So what do we know from this? It describes a phase which is completely real, but which passes. So what we can say here is that the humanity of Jesus was not permanent. It was utterly real, but it passed. He had a time frame on how long he was going to keep this human form upon him. And we know it was 33 33 years. And during that time, he gave every single moment of his being on this earth, he gave it to fulfilling his supreme prize. You know how that verse talked about the supreme prize? Verse number six, it says, you know, seeking equality with God as his supreme prize. His supreme prize was not being God. He was already God. His supreme prize was the salvation of all humanity. This is where Jesus was headed, the goal. This is what he wanted above all things while he was in this human form was the salvation of all men. The scripture tells us that there was a moment there when in heaven the question was asked, who will go? Who's going to do this? 
And they came to the conclusion, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, three essences becoming one. Just like we are three in one, right? Came to the conclusion that it would have to be a God to save humanity because the God was the one that created them, and so God had to be the one to come and save them. And it would only take the sacrifice of a man. A man had to give up life for a man take the place of a man. And so this is how we come to seeing Jesus, fully God and fully man, made in the likeness of men, but we know that it was going to be for a short period of time and that it would pass. The greatest characteristic of Jesus' life were three things that we can say in this chapter. Humility, obedience, and self-renunciation. What is self-renunciation? That is self-denial. When you deny yourself. And Jesus showed us so many times in the scripture where he denied himself on our behalf. It made certain that one day, sooner or later, every living creature in the universe, in heaven, on earth, and yes, even in hell, would have to worship him. Because he showed us how to live in humility. He showed us to live in service. He showed us to live in self-renunciation. Now, John chapter 13 is a wonderful example of this. When you have time, go back and read that whole chapter of John chapter 13. Because in that chapter, Jesus and the disciples are having a meal before Passover. And typically, culturally, when people came in to sit for a meal, the first thing they did was they would wash the feet of those coming in. Jesus came for that meal. The the disciples sat at that meal. And nobody washed feet. So it says in the scripture, after the supper, after their meal, Jesus gets up. He ties a towel around his waist. He gets a bucket of water. And he proceeds to wash the feet of the disciples. Because now he was going into communion, where they were going to break bread with him and drink wine with him, and there was going to be a teaching implied. So now he's starting the way that they should have started when they walked into the room. And so as Jesus takes the form, the lowly form of the servant, because the one that washed the people's feet was usually the lowest of the servants, and he takes upon himself that lowly position Because none of the disciples did it. None of the disciples got up and said, I'm going to wash feet here. None of them did it. And as leaders, sometimes, you know what? We move and we jump and we get up and we do. When we see people don't do, we get up and we do. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. And this is what Jesus did. He got up. So when he gets to Peter, Peter says, oh, no, you're never washing my feet. I I love when Peter said that. You are never washing my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I can't wash your feet, you're going to have no part of me. 
And then he said, oh, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, hey, wash me all over. But what it takes sometimes for us to bring a teaching of, of servanthood. And so Jesus was demonstrating servanthood and what it is to serve. Now I want to tell you a story about the clock. Okay? There was a clock who sat on a shelf and had a nervous breakdown. Now you know which kind of clocks I'm talking about. You know, when I was a kid, my father used to have those wind-up clocks. Every day you had to wind it up so it could continue to tick for the whole day. And I remember one day my father's, you know, he spinned it and the thing went, you know, it just didn't, made a funny sound. So he brought it to me. He said, here, let's see if you could fix this. And let me tell you right now that I have never been, never will be mechanically able to do any of these things. I said, no problem. So I got a little screwdriver. I unscrewed the clock. And I saw that the spring inside of it was like stretched out. I said, huh. So I tried to fix the spring and tighten it up a little. And I put it back in the clock. It still didn't work because I had pieces left over. And I wasn't sure where those pieces went. But apparently they had a function because the clock didn't work. So I told my dad, sorry, but <laughs> it's not working. So this clock, who sat on the shelf, had a function like every other clock. And his function was to tick. And he ticked two ticks per second. All right? Two ticks per second. One day, he got to thinking and he said, oh, poor me. I have to tick so much. I have to tick two ticks per second, 120 ticks per minute, 7,200 ticks per hour, 1,700 and 3,800 ticks per day, 1,209,600 ticks per week, 62,899,206 ticks per year. And when he said all of that, his spring popped. He had a breakdown. And so his friends saw that he collapsed, you know, and they, they picked him up and they took him to see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist well, you know, he patched him up as best he could, tried to put his spring back in. He sat him on the couch and he said, talk to me. Tell me what is troubling you. And the clock said, well, I have to tick. Two ticks per second, 120 ticks per minute, 7,200 ticks per hour. And he started to hyperventilate. And the psychiatrist said, Wait, wait, wait a minute. How many do you have to tick at one time? And the clock kind of looked at him and said, how many do I have to tick at one time? And he said, one. I only have to tick one at a time. And so the, the psychiatrist said, okay, that's great. You know, go home. Get back on your shelf. And don't think about the next tick until you have that one done. And so the clock continued to tick for another 20 years. <laughs> what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that anxiety comes when we worry about things that, e that haven't even happened. 
So here he's worrying about the ticks that were happening in the next hour, in the next day, in the next week, in the next year. He's worrying about those ticks and they haven't even happened. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And I love this part. This is verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. See? What I learned from the story is that Jesus is with us in the moment. Every single moment of our lives, he is there. If you're a believer... If you serve Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and your Savior, this is an assurance that you have that Jesus is with you every single moment of the day. An individual who's really committed to Christ will keep on serving, will keep on moving, irregardless of what's what's happening, because they understand that Christ is in the moment. Jesus was in every single moment of the time that he spent here on earth. And every single moment that he spent here, he was focused on the supreme prize. He was focused on the goal. He was focused on one thing, you and me. He was focused on us. Yeah, he was focused on us. Christ was in every moment of every second that he had to face to save us. You know, thinking that he, and knowing that he was fully God and fully man, you'd, you'd want to say, oh God, couldn't you remove yourself from the, the trials? Couldn't you have removed yourselves from the beatings and the slaps and, and the spitting? And couldn't you have removed yourself from the lashes and from just being on that cross? No, he could not, he would not, he did not. He was in every moment of what it would take to save you and to save me. Because you see, I wouldn't have had access to heaven and you wouldn't have access to heaven were it not for the sacrifice of Jesus. We had no access. And, you know, today I, I, I got hit with a reality as I was thinking about heaven and how his name is above all names, and I, and I thought about what is it that we expect to see when we get to heaven. And I said, well, you know, I've always said, oh, I can't wait to see, you know, loved ones and, and friends and people that I respected, you know, in this walk. I can't wait to see them. And I mentioned everybody, and then I would say, and I want to see Jesus. And that made me pause this morning 
See, don't believe that we have these messages and all of our messages or any, any pastor, it shouldn't be this way, that we just say messages and speak it out to the people and it doesn't come back to us. They do. And they should be making a change in us as the word makes a change in you. Is that, if that's not happening, then there's a disconnect. So as I'm, as I'm thinking about the word, I'm saying, wow, Lord. What I should have been saying was, I can't wait to see Jesus. That should have been my priority and my first thought as I'm thinking of what I'm going to do when I get to heaven. My first thought should be, I want to see Jesus. It's like you're invited to someone's home and you come in and you greet everybody and you, you know, share with everybody and, you know, and you totally ignore, ignore your host. And I felt at that moment that that's what my mindset was, that I was going to go into God's house, his domain, his kingdom, and I was going to greet everybody else. Oh, and as an afterthought, I want to see Jesus. But yet I wouldn't have access to heaven if it were not for Jesus. So I have had a change of mindset right there. You know how Paul talks in the book of Romans? He talks about a change of mind. I had a change of mindset in that area. I said, wow, Lord, I need to see you first. Because I absolutely need to see love personified. The love that was given to me to such an extreme that you would come and throw upon yourself dust. That you would live out this life from a baby to a full-grown man for me, because of me and my sin, before you even knew me or before I even knew you, you did this for me. When I think about that and I say, wow, I need to see love personified. And that you get in First uh, John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, I wrote it down, I didn't want to forget it. But it says... See what kind of love the Father has given us. That he, that we, you and me, should be called children of God. What kind of love is this that the Father has? Because you see, Jesus, he doesn't, and he didn't want anyone to feel that they were forced through his power to serve him, to want him. And so what he did was show us a love that we couldn't resist. A love unlike any other love. That he would be willing to do all of this for us. That blows your mind when you stop to think about it. Do you think you're worthy of that? Some of you might think you are. And so as we, as we listen to these verses... We read all these verses from verse 5 to 11. It speaks on the lordship of Jesus. You might ask yourself, well, how is this relevant? How is Jesus relevant to me? What is it this to me in this day and age? What, what relevance does this have to me? What does it mean? What does it matter? Oh, it matters quite a bit. For the lost, this is what it means. For the lost, it means Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look what it takes. Confession of your mouth, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You know, there's this actor that I really love. I was telling my husband about him. David Suchet. I love this actor, right? And um, because he plays, he's played for many years, a detective, you know, that always found the guilty person. I, I, the analytic mind of him and all, I just love it. And so I was reading um, his testimony or listening to it because he is a Christian and he doesn't have a problem telling people that he's a believer, and so I'm thinking, wow, he must have been raised in this really, you know, Christian home that as he walked and as he sat and as he slept, they spoke the word into him. Well, it turns out he was raised in a home that he never heard about God, ever. How is that possible that you could live in a home and never hear about God, heaven, angels, anything? And one day he's on a job. He's in a hotel room. He finds a Bible. Now, my husband and I, we came to the conclusion it was a Gideon Bible. Because there was a time you would find a Gideon Bible in every hotel room, right? He finds a Bible and he opens it to Romans chapter 8, right? He reads Romans chapter 8 and he gives his life to Jesus, Nobody's there. Nobody's preaching to him. Nobody's teaching to him. The power of the word. From Romans chapter 8, he gave his life to Jesus. Until this day, he's still a believer, professes it. I mean, amazing. Amazing to hear him speak about Jesus. And so, for the lost, you need Jesus. Because you have to confess with your mouth that he's Lord. And the word Lord, you know, we're going to get to the word Lord in a minute. The significance of the word Lord. For the municipality, cities, counties, you know, state, for the municipality, it's Psalm 127.1. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We're living some of that right now. Where we're having these cycles of corona and new things popping up from corona because there's many who are in powers of authority over cities and states that refuse to bow down to Jesus. Oh, yes. They refuse to bow down to Jesus, and they even have said with their own mouths, on tape, that's the wonderful thing about technology. Once you say it is out there, that says that they won't even, that it has nothing to do with prayer. It's nothing to do with Jesus. And this is why we continue in these cycles. But we, the church, the body of Christ, we, the church, continue to press forward and pray for mercy. 
Lord, have mercy. We don't want to see any more of our loved ones die, of our friends die, of our neighbors die. We don't want to see this. Lord, what we brought upon ourselves because we refuse to acknowledge the deity of Jesus, that he is God and with his name, we are given authority. Not in anybody's name. If your name is, uh, you know, Jesus Gonzalez or Jesus Ramos or Jesus, I'm making it up. For the nation, what does this mean for the nation? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Psalm 33, 12. For those who claim to be committed, committed followers of Christ, what does this mean? Is an acknowledgement of Christ's authority must be accompanied by absolute obedience to his command. You know, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So if you're committed to Christ, we should be following and doing the things that he instructs us. There are four classes of people who could be described by their relationship to the Lord. Which one of these are you? Those who neither call him Lord nor do the things which he says. Two, those who call him Lord but do not do the things which he says. Three, those who do not call him Lord but do the things that he says. Four, those who both call him Lord and do the things which he says. So you want to be in the fourth category. You want to be those who call him Lord and do the things which he says. The word Lord is not a word that we should be taking lightly. It's a title that denotes power and authority. Paul turned the pagan world upside down, proclaiming Jesus and the gospel of salvation. He turned every house into a chapel, every street corner into a pulpit. He lit the lamp of the gospel even in Caesar's household. He conquered Rome in the name of Jesus by writing letters. That was it by writing letters about revelations that he received about Jesus. And one of his revelations was this one, that he was fully God and fully man. He said that Jesus has all the supremacy. He is the image of the invisible God. We had an opportunity to see the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the head of the church. He is the firstborn of the dead. In all things, he has preeminence. He precedes all others in his priority. He exceeds all others in his superiority. And he succeeds all others in his finality. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the God that we serve. That's why I can't entertain any other God 
there are not many gods to heaven and there's not many paths to heaven. There's only one way and it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Christ, the name above every name. That one of those verses that we read, verse number number 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the, under the earth shall have to claim that he is Lord. He has all the power and he has all of the authority. In the second coming of Christ, the scripture tells us that all will proclaim him Lord. But just because they're proclaiming him Lord at that moment does not mean that they are saved. Because this is not a, pro a proclamation that they're going to be making unto salvation. It is a proclamation under acknowledgement of who he is. In Isaiah chapter 45, I'm going to encourage you to read Isaiah 45. It says, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. What does the name Jesus mean? It means deliverer, rescuer, savior. There is none besides me. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. We're seeing that in Philippians chapter 2. And it's all about Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2, and I'm going to conclude with this. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you believe that Jesus is God, if you believe that Jesus was fully man, that he came, he lived, he died, he resurrected and is coming again. If you believe all of that, then why are you not serving God? Why are you not fully committed to being a follower of Christ? And if you've never heard this before, if you grew up in a home that you never heard about God, you have that opportunity right now. You've been given that opportunity to hear about Jesus who came, lived, and died for you. And because of your sins, we were separated from him not acknowledged. We said, no, no entry into heaven at all. We were lost in our sin. And yet he made a way for us. He came and he put upon himself the form of man for a limited time with the goal and the intention that he would redeem us from our sin. And he did that on the cross of Calvary. And so I encourage you today Today is the acceptable time of salvation. Let's pray. You know, somewhere there on your computer, you have the ability to raise your hand, raise a little palm. If today you want to reconnect your life with Jesus, you've kind of stepped away, you've kind of been distracted and gotten involved in other things. You haven't remembered the sacrifice of Jesus and you've never really just paid attention to the servanthood of Jesus, how he came to serve us. 
in this capacity and love us in spite of ourselves and the ugliness that we have within us. He loved us and he made us perfect. And you know, one day you're going to have to stand before him. Not in the outer form and what you've created on the outer form. You're going to stand before him the way he created you. Because he created you perfect. You're going to have to stand before him. And you're going to have to give him an account for your life. And so if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your moment. This is your time. If you've been backslidden, you've gone astray, this is your time to get back in line. We are definitely going to be seeing this scene played out sooner than you think. We are living in the end of the end days. We're living this out. We're living out what this prophetic book, this Bible has spoken through countless years. We're living out the prophecies of this book. And this is your time and your moment. And so let us, let us pray. Raise your little hand, you know, using technology. And we're going to pray for you. Father, we're so thankful this morning that we can reach lives and touch lives with your word. And we pray that your word just digs into their hearts and finds a space and a place where you can reach them at their points of need. I pray, O oh Lord, that lives are transformed from this moment forward, that lives are changed, that there are mindsets that are changed in the name of Jesus, because there is no other name given unto men by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we claim you our Lord. We claim you our, our, our rescuer. We claim you our Savior. We claim you as God of our lives. Help us, oh Lord, to be better followers of Christ. Help us, oh Lord, to think of those around us that also need your touch and your relationship. You're a relational God. You're with us in every moment of every situation in our lives. And for that, we are grateful, eternally grateful. We thank you for all of these things. And Lord, I just pray healing on those that are needing a, a healing touch to their Holy Spirit. Just meet them in their homes, in their rooms, in their hospital rooms, wherever they may be. Lord, just reach them in the name of Jesus, who's given us authority and power through his name. We pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you this morning. Take time and reread those chapters. And fall in love with Jesus all over again. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you made that decision, we welcome you into the family of Christ. We want you to contact us, connect with us. Uh, we'd love to uh, meet you and pray with you personally. Uh, if you were almost there, like, uh, I don't remember the gentleman that Paul almost convinced him um, I forget his name but anyway this gentleman that Paul shared the testimony he says you almost convinced me uh, if, you were, if you were one of those that was almost convinced we pray that during the course of this day or even this week that you would have an encounter with Jesus that would help you to make that final decision 